A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello there and welcome to the show. Back after the international break, the show is brought to you with... West Yorkshire Electrical. Well done, Michael. What do you want to know about them? I'd like to know what sort of services they offer, uh, the kind of things they do. As an stuff ele- with wires. Yeah. Do stuff with wires, put anything with wires, they'll have a look at that for you. Yeah. Um, do you things like... Do you think they're fully accredited? I would Yes, 100% they are. <laughs> Definitely do they, do they, they have are. a big three? Uh, I, I, As far as I'm concerned, the solar panel installation, the um, the electric car charging ports mm-hmm. plugins yep that and probably um cctv yeah i'm not sure if that's the same big three as last time but those are three things they do do the big three can evolve can't it they're, they're all available for your home and your business we should stress um with finance available for stuff work on your home and your business what else have you got for me there go on um well fire alarm systems security yep. systems led lighting they do do a lot of contract work with schools as well, the West Yorkshire Electrical. So if you are in charge of a school, give them a, give them a buzz. wyelectrical.co.uk for details. Search West Yorkshire Electrical on your socials. Where do they cover, Michael? They're called West Yorkshire Electrical. But do you know what? There's a little sting in the tail here, let me tell you. Did they venture to North Yorkshire? They do. South Yorkshire? Yep. East Yorkshire? The whole of Yorkshire. Wow. And beyond. There you go. That's exciting. Even Humberside. Uh, I think, I believe that does fall under the auspices of East Yorkshire. Fair enough. Doesn't I know, it? but culturally, different space. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, th- I think they will. Okay, good. Yeah, if if asked nicely. Uh, wyelectrical.co.uk uh, for details there. Right into the show then. Uh, back with Phil Hay uh, after the international break, as we mentioned at the start of the show. Uh, nice to be back, Phil. Yeah, thanks for the week off. That's yeah. very kind of you. Yeah, we'll give it a rest and talk about some kits, which go back and watch those, by the way, or listen to them. Ed Cowburn, who designed this season's kits um, for part of there, how it came about, home away third, all very interesting. And Johnny Cooper as well from Opta came in and gave us the uh, all the trends that have unfolded over the course of the season. And we will be seeing those trends in action, won't we, Phil? Uh, Saturday at Norwich, long way down. Good game, this one. Not a good drive, good game. It's weird, Norwich. I say this all the time, but you feel like you're getting there after an hour and then three hours later, you're still trudging along single lane roads through the fields although it can't be as bad as the last time I went there which was that train journey that got us back to York at about half past midnight with Malibu Man and the crowd who I've never quite been able to shake since and I may see again <laughs> on Saturday but Farker is going to be the story for this one isn't he certainly in the, the build up to it going back there for the first time to a club who certainly fan base who think highly of him or thought highly of him for a lot of the time when he was there quite interesting comparison with Leeds I think because it seems to me that 
Norwich haven't really got themselves going since the end of the Farca era. They haven't quite found direction they need, haven't been able to, to gather any impetus and, and almost it might be that, that David Wagner does that for them, although they're having a difficult period at the moment. But it's not so dissimilar to where Leeds found themselves after Bielsa, you know, trying to work out what to do next, what exactly the, the right step was. Took us three minutes to mention him. Yeah, it did. It did. <laughs> Very hard not to. But it's it's kind of odd that Norwich feel like they're looking for that and on Saturday, they'll be looking at the coach who, to my mind, has done as much so far as any other coach post-Bielsa to bring Leeds out the other side of, of that particular romance and, and that particular period. And I think both clubs can probably relate to each other on the difficulty of trying to progress and leave behind a, a pretty emotional period. I mean, you are due to speak to him after this. We're recording this. Yes. It is uh, late Thursday morning, so I'm sure you will get into it and, and how much he's looking forward to it. But... He's got to be looking forward to it, hasn't he? Yeah. It's, it's always nice to go back somewhere where you're welcome. And it's it's not possibly something worth getting into here. It's not something that happens very often in football, is it? That managers leave a place and are welcomed back. I'd say, what, 90% of them, 95% of them are told to sling the rook and, and not come back again because everything goes bad in the end, doesn't it, with, with managers for, for the most part? There's a big spectrum. You have managers who, when they go, people are delighted to see the back of and absolutely sick of, just want to leave. You have, play, you have managers at the, the total opposite end who... You know, people are, are devastated to see go either are sacked or get poached by other clubs and leave at a point where you don't want them to leave or brings to the, the end an era that you don't want to, to finish. But then you do have a big grey area in the middle where there's that little bit of indifference of, you know... I mean, if I was to single out, say, for example, Thomas Christensen, I don't think there's any great strength of feeling there at all. And if he came back to Leeds, people would be, I think, very kind of amicable with him because there's not really any reason not to but at the same time he's not the sort of person that you'd be desperate to see on the pitch in the way that you would be with uh, Bielsa or going back you know further people like Wilkinson you know who, who did who did really genuinely big things for the club but you're right you know he, he, Carroll Road will be in two minds I think because they're not in good form at the moment so they don't want to be too generous to him but I think I get the sense that they do really appreciate a lot of what he did there because he built two incredibly strong teams in the championship, really, really powerful sides who are pretty much untouchable in both of the seasons that, that they went up. And even though they, they got relegated twice from the Premier League, I think there is a bit of an appreciation that they didn't have a huge budget. They didn't have a squad that was going to be wildly competitive. I think what you can probably debate is whether they should have been more competitive than they were. I mean, they went down once on 21 points, second time on 22. So they didn't really make a, a great fist of it. And OK, second time around, Farka had already been sacked by the time they... They went down, but it was rather heading in, in that direction anyway. But when he um, when he was interviewed for the job in the summer, Farker, one of the things that he said to the interview panel that leads was that he felt that he was a long-term Premier League manager, that he was of that standard and could work you know, steadily in that division, and that he didn't think that the circumstances at Norwich had given him much of a chance to prove that. And I think he feels that if Leeds go up, there'll be a far more fertile environment here for him to build a stronger Premier League team that doesn't just get relegated straight away. I think what he was trying to say was, on my CV, it says I'm a manager who gets promoted and then takes a club back down. But actually, I don't think that's that's how it is. And I don't think much of what's gone on at Norwich since he left has made people there reflect differently on the fact that in certainly in the Championship, he did a really good job. Were the calls for him to be sacked in the Premier League from their fans? I actually can't remember. The second time around, it became far more difficult for him. I mean, Norwich, to, to their credit, stuck with him first time, first time in the Premier League when it was obvious that they were going to get relegated. And it was the right decision because they went down, they won the title comfortably the following season. I, I'm not aware of whether there was massive clamour 
at the time. I mean, in a lot of ways, you'll remember the the win that Leeds had down there, which was the, the Malibu man trip on the train, that 2-1 victory down at Carroll Road. That seemed to be what did for Farker because they won at um, Brentford following weekend and he got sacked an hour after full time. So it was as if, you know, that decision had already been made and it was just picking the, the moment to do it. Um, I'm pretty sure that was right before an international break. So kind of, you know, clean cut. It wasn't going well. I think you have to say that the, the numbers in the Premier League are not pretty in any way at all what they, they want under him. But they went for Dean Smith. Wasn't great. Crowd didn't want to that at all. They went for Wagner, who is different to Smith and probably more similar to Farker. Him and, him and Farker have quite a similar kind of track record and career path in that they both coached Bruce Dortmund's reserves, both came to England in the Championship, got promoted and went back to the continent and, and are now back in this division again with, with different clubs. Wagner, from what I understand, is a coach who prefers training to be very intense in the way that Farker does. I think Dean Smith eased off a little bit and you'll find quotes on The Athletic from Norwich players to that effect, you know, that there was a difference. So it felt a little bit like in going for Wagner, they were moving back towards a bit more of what Farker had given them. And there've been periods where it's been good under Wagner and they started this season very well, but there was a bit of unrest in the away end um, after the last game, which was a one-all draw at Coventry. They aren't in, the results aren't ticking over for them particularly nicely. I was going to say, moment. just to interject for a second, Phil, just to say yeah. in their last five, because they're two places behind us in the table, they're seventh. So the form's not disastrous in that sense, but uh, they're on 17 points, we're on 19. But they have, they've won five, drawn two and lost four. So it seems they either win or lose. And they score quite a lot of goals. They concede quite a lot of goals. Last five is loss, loss, win, loss, draw. I think they are two wins from seven, if I'm right in saying, in the league, which is why a little bit of dissatisfaction is, is built up. They are handicapped at the moment by the fact that Josh, Josh Sargent is injured, Ashley Barnes as well, not helping them. But what Wagner doesn't have, which Farker does, is that Wagner's been in since January. So it's not as if this is a you know immediately new regime. It has had time to bed in. Whereas I think with Farker coming in when he did and in the circumstances that he did, it, it bought him some leeway and some patience on the basis that there was only so much he could do in, in a really short period of time. And it is odd because... You're looking at the table and you see Norwich in seventh, reasonably good position, um, not a million miles from where they want to be, two positions, two points behind Leeds. But it feels like emotionally the clubs are in a slightly different place at the moment. I mean, you tell me, but I think the fan base at Leeds feel like there's impetus behind Farker and that it's a, it seems like a good fit at this early stage. It's gone pretty well so far. I think down in Norwich, even though the league position isn't much different, there just seems to be a bit more scrutiny at the moment. Yeah, in our weekly show, which came out, Yesterday, we um, we graded the season, didn't we, so far? And Farker came out pretty well in all that. You have to go back and watch it or listen to it if you want to find out exactly what we gave him. But uh, yeah, we said he'd, he'd performed well and sort of marked him up on the, on the basis that circumstances hadn't been ideal. Interesting what you were saying, actually, about um, the, uh, Norwich trying to find their way, trying to find their path post-Farker. Post and it feels like Leeds are finally finding a path and an identity again now, yeah. um, which is something that we, we missed after Bielsa when it just we kind of I don't know we were all over the place trying just trying to find a plan because the plan that was put in place didn't really work did it? But often one of the hardest things for a club is to have a smooth steady transition from one coach particularly if it's a very good coach to another who can make it you know kind of seamless in the way that Brighton have been able to do with Graham Potter to Deserby and that at the moment is the, the situation that will always be referenced as a good example of how to do it and how to, to make it work because it has been pretty seamless and they haven't you know, they haven't had a big hit to form or confidence or 
the the general atmosphere. It's 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 been good on on both fronts. It's good under Potter. It's been very good under under De Zerbi. It has to be said that the sort of um, kind of combination between Farker and Stuart Webber, who is the sporting director at Norwich, about to leave, they're about to appoint Ben Napper from Arsenal. So um, you know, for, I assume would clear the way for for Webber to to move out of the club. When it when it was good, it did seem to be very good. The recruitment seemed to work. The plan and the process all seemed really effective. And as I say, they did stick with him during that first season when they went down. But I, I don't know how much you can read into this, but it was interesting to me that over the summer when Leeds were looking for a replacement for Victor Orta, for a new technical director, sporting director, whatever, and they would have loved to have made that appointment before choosing the head coach. Had they had all the time in the world, that's the, the um, order in which it would have happened. But they got squeezed for time which meant that they had to go for a head coach before pre-season training started, hence um, the decision to appoint Farker and then Greta Steinson coming in further down the line. But even though Weber was technically available, because he's kind of on gardening leave at the moment, seven out notice, he wasn't in the list of final interviews. He wasn't somebody who Leeds actively tried to go for, even though it was going to be Farker and even though that combination could have been put back together. And I don't think there's much doubt that there was pressure put on that relationship towards the end by the fact that second time round in the Premier League, it, it just wasn't wasn't going well. And, you know, you, you talk about optics a lot. It's quite an unusual scenario to see a manager win a game like Norwich desperately needed to do at Brentford and then get sacked an hour later in the dressing room. Are there interesting parallels with Leeds there, Phil? Um, is there something that, that mirrors what happened with Bielsa in the sense that, because I went poking around on, on Twitter and Norwich forums as well when we were rumoured to be in for Weber after... Um, after Farker came in. And there's a certain sense that maybe Farker was to some extent let down by the structure behind him, which you can look at at Leeds, what happened with Bielsa, and he went to the board and said, look, you know, you need to change either the players or me. And they didn't. They you know, stuck with it again for another season, didn't they? And then it all started to fall apart. But yeah, there was a sense that maybe the structure behind Farker had let him down and, and hadn't allowed him to realise his full potential. And that, you know, is reflected in what he said in the interview, I guess, isn't it? That he feels that He's got more to offer than he's shown so far. Well, there's certainly par- parallels financially because when um, Angus Kinnear was talking to you about that situation with Bielsa, you know, replace me or replace the entire squad, he made the point, I think it was a valid one, that in order to replace the squad at Leeds in its entirety or close, you know, in a, a major way, with players to the level that Bielsa wanted, you'd have been talking levels of investment that Leeds just could not afford. Hence why it, it didn't happen. I think similar at Norwich, that it would have been great for them to have had better players. Obviously, the transfers needed to work better than they did. It would have been great for them to have been able to invest to a greater extent. But again, the budget was was what it was. It was not massive, was not huge in comparison to most of the clubs in the Premier League. And that does cause you a problem. You either need to be unbelievably astute and clever with the players you sign, which is something that Brentford have always done really well because they don't have a huge, huge budget, <coughs> but make themselves competitive. Or you're most likely to get into trouble, um, which mm. which Norwich did. And I do get the sense that that's the, that's the sort of feeling in Norwich, is that you can never totally, uh, with rare exceptions, you can never totally exonerate a manager when things go wrong. I mean, that is the job and that's the, the point of it. But I think they all kind of appreciate, or they seem to appreciate, certainly amongst the support, that it, its hands were tied to a certain degree. Um, perhaps they were always going to be, perhaps it'd be exactly the same for Wagner or whoever else if Norwich went up Again, who knows exactly what sort of budget Farker would have if he went up with Leeds. I think it would be considerably bigger than it was at Norwich. But again, is it going to be enough? You know, would it be enough? Would it let him be competitive? It's a hard league to get into. 
I do tend to sympathise a fair amount with sporting directors, technical directors. You know, they need to get it right. They need to justify the jobs. They need to justify the positions and the wages and and everything else. But it's so so easy to to get it wrong. And and sometimes even the best of intentions don't work. I was going to say there are grey areas there between the the two extremes of that situation. In that better recruitment will lead to better results, won't it? I mean, like, and I know we are a league down, so it's like comparing apples with pears, isn't it? Because we don't know yet if Ethan Ampadu will be able to perform in the Premier League. But on the basis of what we've seen so far, for seven million quid, Ethan Ampadu looking like an absolutely rock-solid acquisition who more than likely will be able to make the step up to the Premier League in some capacity. And he was pretty cheap. You don't always need to spend 30 or 40 million pounds on a player because, I mean, it's one of those conversations that we all have, isn't it? It's like, you still have Bielsa as your reference point. You go, Bielsa would love that player. Bielsa would have loved that player. And I think he would have loved Ethan Ampadu. It's all about the ceiling you set for yourself and the projections you have of what you can achieve. So if you go back to when Leeds were promoted and the talk after that was from Radrizani and others at the club was about at what in what time frame and in what stage are we going to get into Europe, which seems pretty laughable now, but that's that's how they were looking at it. And I think a lot of us were kind of seduced into thinking, well, yeah, you know, if your progression keeps going as it has and if you invest and if you build properly and if you make good signings, then it's not, if you're talking about, you know, the Conference League or Europa League, it's not beyond you. Be, uh, further on than that, it's almost impossible minus massive, massive injection of cash. But the Conference League is is doable. But what they've done this season is they've they've said, let's get a squad together that can get us in the mix for promotion. So let's not be stupid with what we sign. Let's not take massive gambles on players who, as I guess as Kinnear put it, if they're 9 out of 10 one week, they look like they'll win you the title. But if most weeks they're kind of 5 out of 10, then you go nowhere with them. You just kind of float. And I think everybody probably agrees now that in the Premier League, aiming for 12th position or somewhere in mid-table and recruiting with that attitude would have been so much better than trying to shoot a little bit for the stars because you're just playing the percentages a bit more. And it's fine to be ambitious and it's fine to have big goals. But I think that's absolutely right about them this season. They've bought players who, no guarantee. And Farker said this when he's talking about Pirro, the whole 9-10 debate route and everything else. I'm not saying to you that this team will get promoted. I'm not saying to you that Ruta will score enough goals or Pirro will score enough goals. I'm not saying it will work. What I'm saying to you is I've, I've won promotion from this league before. I've worked with strikers who've been successful before. So I'm going to do what I think is best and I would just like people to have a bit of faith in it and go with it. And I think that's a, I think it's a good way to think. We'll come back to managers going back to their old clubs in a minute or two, but just one of the two of the threads there just to pull on. Head of recruitment now... Do we know what's going on with Nick Hammond? Because you've been mentioning it a little bit in articles in, in yeah, recent times. So they're, they're keen to keep him. And, and, I, and I think they will. Right. Yeah, I think they will do. Um, Hammond was in during the summer as and he was kind of interim transfer consultant, but he was very, very involved in recruitment. You know, it wasn't as if he was just there to pick up a phone when somebody needed a little bit of assistance. He was right in the thick of it. They're very, very happy. Him and um, uh, one of his colleagues, Gary Penrice, who scout was up at Celtic for a while, used to play for Queen's Park Rangers. I would expect both of them to be back involved. That's certainly been the intention and, and been what's been discussed over the past few weeks, although to this point it hasn't been announced. I think ideally we'd like him to be here for the next two windows, so January and, and next summer. You have Greta Steinson as well, who was in his, his technical director. He was obviously appointed around the same time as Farker because the, the club did the interviews at the same time. You know, they were looking for sporting director or something of that ilk at the same point as, at which they were meeting potential head coaches, managers down in London. Again, and I think this applies to a lot of stuff at Leeds at the moment, how it'll look longer term, how it'll look in, say, a year's time, two years' time is difficult to tell because I guess 
the 49ers' attitude to what they want will will kind of morph a little bit as the team pick up results, as they get promoted, for example, as things change, what they feel they need might change as well. But um, I would expect to see Hammond involved, yeah. And we're seeing changes, commercial department as well. Paul yeah. Bell, who's the commercial director, has left. That was announced on Wednesday. So you can see the the, the, the cogs are turning already in terms yeah, of and what they, they want to do. Yeah, there'll, there'll be a chief operating officer coming in at some point. I think just trying to broaden out the, I guess, the oversight of the business for the 49ers who will be predominantly based in the States. We know how the board's going to look now. So it will be Marathi's chairman, um, Rudy Klein-Thomas is vice chairman, and then you've got Peter Lowy and Angus Kinnear on, on a four-man board. Kinnear is the only one who'll be based in the UK full-time. Everybody else will be abroad. Um, so, you know, somebody else in, in that sort of position gives a bit more oversight, a bit more kind of on-the-ground feel of, of what, what is actually going on. I think despite three years in the Premier League, I don't think the 49ers feel in any way like Leeds are set up as a Premier League club or were at the point where they they, they bought them out. Um, I know that aesthetically you can see that in the way Ellen Road is, the changes that are needed, the kind of upgrades that are needed. But when it comes to personnel and structure of management and everything else, I think the 49ers feel like there needs to be a, a lot of progress there. Yeah, it was um, sort of suggested by Kinnear when he spoke to us post-promotion that there was a big concentration on getting the playing side right, which, you know, we know how it turned out, but the intention was there anyway to concentrate on that side of things to try and stabilise in the Premier League. Yeah. They got it wrong. You know, fair enough, we've ended up where we are, but that was the focus after they went up and maybe the plan was further down the line then to look at like, the executive team and all the you know, behind the scenes stuff. But um, it seems like there's a bit of both going on with 49ers maybe now. They, they realise that you need that robust team in place. Yeah, the, there were changes made and upgrades made to Thorpe Arch um, through the period when Radrazani was owner. Quite a lot of that was instigated. Loads of it was instigated by Bielsa himself who wanted changes and wanted it to, to be different. It's hard not to look at Leeds and feel that they still, at this point, are trapped in the cycle that they've been in really since it, it, they got into trouble under Ridsdale, which is that well, everybody else at that kind of level or above is developing rapidly, training grounds, stadiums, you know, commercially. Leeds are still kind of stagnated, so there was a lot of talk about stadium development after they got promoted, was certainly the intention, but it never happened and it was less and less likely to happen as the split of ownership between Radrazani and the 49ers moved to the point where it needed to become a buyout. You know, at that point, nobody was going to commit money either way until there was a, a decision to be, a total, you know, final decision made about a sale of the club. At the moment, we haven't got any documents on Companies House about Ellen Road, so it still lists the stadium as being under Radrazani's control. But from what we're told and our understanding, it will move 100% into the 49ers' hands, which means that you know they're kind of free at that point to invest as they see fit without any other external interests in it. But there is a lot that needs to be done. And as I say, they don't look at Leeds and think that the, the framework behind the scenes at Ellen Road is, is properly Premier League. Could you find love at Leeds United? The Square Ball Podcast. On the members show, Michael chats about the time he had the bright idea to take his girlfriend to a pre-season friendly at Hartlepool. I was single about a month after. Why do you think that was? It's a five-year relationship that, that ended. <laughs> ended on Dave Livermore. <laughs> that ended because of fucking Kevin Blackwell. To listen to the members show, get priority access to the match ball and all our shows ad-free, become a TSB Plus member at thesquareball.net forward slash plus. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When do we get to see the swanky CGI images of a new West Stand? Well, this is the thing, for isn't about, it? That's always... For about the 10th time in the last 30 years. Yeah, this is it. This oh, is it. You hark may... at you, you cynic. <laughs> <laughs> you, you might actually get it get it this time. That'll be the... They, they'll pick the moment for that, one. That'll be what they'll want to do when they actually announce that it's going to happen, you know, what, what it's going to... You know, the cheese room and all that sort of stuff. The, the tunnel where you can watch them coming down the tunnel like they have at, at Man City. What they'll actually be able to do is a fair question really because it's not as if they've got a massive patch of land on which they can start from scratch and do whatever they like but I mean to say that the West Stand could do with an upgrade <laughs> yes I think I've said in recent weeks I'm kind of all for it now I love the fact that Ellen Road is old and archaic but there's part of it wonders if it's I don't know if it's not enabling us to move on and kick on a little bit. Oh, it definitely isn't. Yeah. Alone, I, don't, I mean, I mean, in a, in a physical sense I mean in almost in an emotional sense it's like you, you almost feel like when you look around the stadium I don't know, you, you've got the, the West Stand that represents the John Charles era, you've got the Cop and South Stand, which sort of remind you of like the the, the Reavy era, and then you've got the, the East Stand. That's a good thing though, no? no and the, but the East Stand then was built in the Wilkinson era. So when I look around, I'm always constantly thinking about past eras. If I, you know, if you stop and take a second when you're not watching the actual game itself. Do, do you understand what I mean? It's like, it's, it's an intangible thing. I, I love the fact that we celebrate our history so much, but sometimes I do wonder if it's a bit of a millstone around our neck. I am glad we got to go up with the old stadium, in a way, but I feel like it. I feel like it deserved one last go at the Premier League. Yeah, did that iteration of the ground, <laughs> yeah. and now it's seen it. We're like, okay, good, that was nice, but let's let's at least replace the West Stand. Yeah, I, weirdly, I think the West Stand because it's always been the, I guess the more, the posh seats, hasn't it? Yeah, and where the directors sit. I know Bates moved temporarily to his glass box didn't he in the east his, stand his lair his, his bulletproof um, until, <laughs> glass people, box. until people realise that the wind up there can hit about 100 miles an hour on a bad day and it's a bit exposed but yeah I think I feel like I've never had the quite the emotional attachment to the west stand so I almost don't mind them getting, <laughs> getting rid of it yeah. whereas the cop I'd feel I don't know I, don't, I kind of don't want that to change in a lot of ways and the east stand because that's where I grew up watching Leeds I've got an attachment to that as well even though the sort of the build quality on it and then the Bates edition is a monstrosity because it's just like <laughs> the grey blue beige combo I don't know what was ever considered there if anything but yeah I, I feel like I'm 
I'm at least ready for a new West End. I think if you've got anything about you architecturally or, you know, when it comes to planning the stadium, then you'd take that into account, wouldn't you? You would think about the fact that the cop is pretty iconic at Ellen Road and always has been and is important stand to people. So replace it with something that fits. I mean, if you go to Tottenham, the huge home end there, massive, like absolutely massive. I mean, there must be lifts up to the back of it, surely, because, I mean, climbing the steps all the way up would, would be would be knackering. But it's nothing like White Hart Lane. That was one of my favourite grounds, White Hart Lane. I always loved going there because it was so compact and, like, intense because everybody was so close to the pitch. You were In the press box, you used to sit right behind the dugouts. I mean, like, right on them. You could hear everything that was being said and you could see everything that was going on. It was absolutely great. And in no way is Tottenham's new stadium anything like that. But they seem to like it because some thought's gone into it, because it's really impressive, because it does seem to work um, when it comes to, to atmosphere. So I think you have to, I think that has to be taken into account rather than just paying lip service to the idea that we don't want to totally decimate the atmosphere. Actually do something that means that you don't, you know, yeah. give, some, give some thought to it. When it comes to clinging to history, which you were talking about, I don't think you can really blame anybody at Leeds for that because when you go through endless years in the EFL, some of them in League One, drift in the championship with nothing with not that many players to attach yourself to not that many coaches to attach yourself to not that many seasons where you you don't feel like you're just passing through then what do you do you think don't you about the times when it was good I've reflected on what I said there and I think it's, are you going to withdraw it no I'm not, going to, I'm not going to withdraw it I've, <laughs> I've just I've distilled my thoughts into what I mean and I think what I mean is like you know that the, the way that we react to new sign-ins this year for example take this year as an example we were glad to see the back of all the old lot because they were horrible Jews bastards. And But then we started to get some new players in and they've started to do new things and we've got a new manager. And suddenly there's just this little bit of momentum that's growing now, the sense that Leeds United are moving forward again. And I sort of feel that way about the stadium as well. I feel like if they start to develop the stadium, it'll just give us that sense of moving forward and progression and meaning it, I think. Yeah. Mm. I think. I think it's a development, it's a physical development that shows the club is trying to actually get ready for the Premier League yeah. again in a way that the behind the scenes stuff does as well in having more people in the football side of it having more people on the commercial side of it all that sort of stuff we've tried it it didn't really work in the way we did it before so go back with plans to make the stadium bigger so you can grow your revenue with a much bigger backroom staff of people to actually grow the commercial side and make sure things are done properly in the football side it's not just Victor Alta picking players it's it's going through a you know a the sort of Swiss cheese model of having various levels of failure that can that can go on there rather than just being all on Victor Alta so yeah, I think it's um, it's all part of part of the thing of actually trying to grow it properly this time. Whereas, yeah, there's a sense that maybe last time it was Bielsa, and that was it. That's why last time was such a missed opportunity because it didn't really capitalise on anything that had gone on. It capitalised in terms of Ellen Road sales. I mean, Ellen Road's always been good for ticket sales. Don't get me wrong; I was there when there were like sixteen thousand in the crowd for that game against Wolves um, in 06 or seven. But there were there were reasons for that, and part of it was because it got stupidly expensive to go it was, it was stupidly expensive and it was shit that, total, yeah, 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 total, so what was that Ken <laughs> yeah, but, that, but that's exactly it that's exactly it you, you get told if you want Premier League football you have to pay Premier League prices ok well here's the Premier League prices where's the rest of it and it was nowhere to be seen and then that here's went on Jeff for years and years and years yeah so it has been an opportunity missed and, they, and you know I think I think the 49ers were far more aware of what you have to do commercially not least because that's how it works in the NFL you know like commercial movements and operations are such a big part of, 
of that. And it is different because obviously there's no relegation. You don't have the same kind of jeopardy, but you still need to quote people and engage people and grow the brand yeah. um, to use I will that, say, that I, phrase. I will also hate that when it happens. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, that is the, <laughs> that's the other caveat, isn't it? Yeah. That, that we'll go, oh, wow, doesn't that look spectacular and, and massive and shiny and new? I miss the old thing. I miss I miss the thing that was there before. But that's just that's just human nature, isn't it? Mm. It's maybe a bit as well because we're old. You know, perhaps a younger generation will look at Ellen Road and go, "Why, like, why can't we have Tottenham's Stadium? You know, why can't we have something nice and shiny?" And, and it's dafty as well. Like, you know, players are thinking, "Why am I running out in a stand that was built in the 1950s mm. when you know my peers play for Club X, Y, or Z, and they get to come out in a fucking spaceship?" It does make a big difference to commercial partners to sometimes assigning players, managers, everything else, what you can sell to them and how it looks and how it feels. I remember years back when Leeds were trying to find sponsors, shirt sponsor at one particular point, I think it was during the Chilino era, and somebody at the club saying to me that one company, one person director they'd spoken to, um, company like external company director, had said, it's not that I'm not interested in doing the shirt sponsorship, but you know if there were there are photos of protests outside the ground you know if people end up throwing shirts on the pitch if it's all really volatile I don't really want my company brand in the thick of that and that's a bit um, it's, it's what would Ken Bates say about that? Well it's a bit intangible because <laughs> you I was writing you know about club statements last week you know like outlandish club statements and I was I was going back to some of Bates programme notes and I was just thinking I mean to say of its time doesn't really do it justice. Could you imagine that going on at the moment? Like, you know, those every weekend coming out, it'd be absolute manna from heaven for like, you know. I was going to say people have, have taken the arse with some of the stuff that Angus Kinnear's put. Yeah. Um, which was probably a lot more well-intentioned than Ken Bates. But um, it'd be headlines every weekend. But I guess it? to be fair, I guess those th- those program notes from Bates were the genesis of why people have reacted badly to some of the stuff that Kinnear's put that was probably meant a lot more innocently than it came I mean, if, if Ken was still here, we would... You know, we should say that to we our, would pretty to, soon begin. We should say, to the best of our knowledge, he's not dead. No, no, but if it's still oh, doing, doing his programme notes and his radio interviews, we yeah. would currently be hearing his views on Israel and Palestine, which would no doubt be box office one way or another. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure which way to go on it, but he, he was never shied away from just airing opinions on stuff, didn't he? would be like... I remember a chat about a death penalty on Yorkshire <laughs> Radio. Um, yeah, it was, it was fun and games. But... Loads of, loads of people would want to sponsor Man United, wouldn't they? Well, loads of companies would want to be branded uh, on Man United's shirt because they sell loads of them, loads of exposure and everything else. But obviously, over there, you do have the conflict with the Glazers. You do have protests, this, that and the other. So you can't, you can't have a fail-safe situation where you're able to go to a club and say, our company name is never going to show up in images or in circumstances where you can like, oh, I wish we weren't the thick of that. But I think in those circumstances, it leads there were a lot of people who were thinking, I don't know whether I really want to get involved in this. It's totally different now. I don't think the 49ers going to people and saying, do you want to sponsor Leeds? People go, oh, I don't want to be associated with that particularly. But I think when it comes to pulling in your big hitters, what the aesthetics look like do do help. Yeah, definitely. And As the contacts. Yeah, well, yeah. The, the, yeah, there's a confidence there, isn't there, that these people being in charge will do X and Y. And yeah. they can turn around and say, well, look at these renders of the stadium. This is the future that's coming. And actually... I suppose this is where something like the Wrexham documentary possibly helps with people in the States. You can say, look at look at what they're doing there. They're redeveloping it. They're on, they're on this journey. Come on a similar journey with us. Be, yeah. be the brand that gets noticed as we build a new stand and we get promoted again and all those kind of things. Optics, the, optics. The only thing I would say is that I think when you're Wrexham and you acquire Hollywood owners, it's far easier to have a huge, huge spike in commercial deals without the money coming in 
having to be anything like Premier League comparative or even even Championship. You know, it wasn't when it comes to like shirt sales. I think I read that Wrexham have shifted something like thirty thousand, which was a huge, huge jump on what they'd done previously. When you get into the Premier League, the numbers need to be far bigger. Um, so in order to get the gain or the, the extent of the gain that you really want, you have to work very hard for it. You will automatically get much more in the Premier League, which is true of everything. But to maximise it, you do have to have a strategy. I mean, you do need to know the right people and to, to approach the right people. Yeah, returning to a topic that I mentioned before then, Phil, managers going back, yes. as Farker is doing to Norwich, provoke the thought in me that like, yeah, managers don't often get that all singing, all dancing, we love you, we had a lovely time together, welcome back, do they? I know that if Bielsa was to come back, that would undoubtedly happen at Ellen Road. I'm so pleased that he didn't go to Bournemouth, by the way. That would have been awful. Not going very well down there. That's a shame, isn't it? Mm, I thought mm. you may say that. Yeah. But in terms of managers coming back, can you remember occasions of previous managers coming back? We were trying to remember, weren't we, just before we started recording what O'Leary's welcome back was like when he came back with Villa at Leeds? I can't quite remember. Sadly. No, I can't either. I remember George Graham's prior to that when he came back with Spurs. That was... That was, yeah. Should we say it was toxic. emphatic? Yeah. I think we always used to beat George Graham as well. I've got a feeling we just somehow would always turn him over when he was at Spurs and it was just that satisfaction of you could you could turn up, you could yell at him and then you could go, ah, yeah, fuck off now. <laughs> <laughs> at the end of it. Go on then, back you go. Down, down to your fancy London. <laughs> I hope you're enjoying it down there, dickhead. <laughs> Which is what you want, really. I know, I suppose Warnock had a few comebacks, didn't he? I'm sure he beat us with Cardiff at some point. Um... Was that Christensen's last game? When he, did he get? It was, yeah. He got, yeah, he got, he got Christensen did, sacked, did, didn't did he? So, Christensen, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Warnock's been out loads of times because he's just unflushable turd, isn't he? <laughs> he just continually uh, makes, but, a, makes a comeback at some point in the end of the season. Bear in mind as well that some managers either never return or don't carry on in, in management. Dennis Wise is a really good example. He never mm. came back because after Leeds, it went to Newcastle and that was kind of kind of that. Others like Gary McAllister has been back in coaching capacity um, with other clubs, but never as your your face on the touchline. Monk got a pretty choice reception when he returned. I struggled to follow what Gary Monk's up to because he blocked the square ball account. Did he? Yeah. Did he? Why Ke- was that? Kept calling him a snake. Ah, right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> Which was actually... Actions, consequences. <laughs> it was yeah. actually nicer than what was said to him in the stadium. Yes. Yes. yes yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what is he up to these days? He's just kind of... He seems to be doing um, like coaching courses with kids and it's weird. He seems to have drifted away from, you know, like proper frontline, certainly English club management, completely gone from that. Christensen, I don't think he's been back since. Peckingbottom could have tipped up at some point with Sheffield United, but obviously leagues have changed and everything else. And will do again. Hey. Well, well, <laughs> yeah. uh, we'll see. Um, but... I would say that more often than not, a lot of managers go back with people shrugging shoulders a little bit. But you do have circumstances where a particular popular manager goes back, which kind of changes the atmosphere slightly, or where a particularly unpopular manager goes back, which from the point of view of the home crowd tends to and the home team tends to help a little bit with the atmosphere. Wilco never came back, did he? I was just I thinking that exact same thing. Did he come back when he was at Sunderland or did we go to him or did we not play him? I was looking at it, he we may have gone there in that the season he went to Sunderland he didn't go there until October and we played Sunderland at home in the August ah right so we so he missed his Ellen but Road I th- return I think Leeds played up there did they not we will have done probably yeah he was yeah. there till almost the end of the season so yeah chances are we did go up there but I can't really remember it but yeah there was no no Ellen Road homecoming for him and I think I mean Wilco at that point would have got a good reception I think as much as there was a sort of demand for him to go from 
would you say the majority of people at the time? I feel like there was definitely a, a sway towards wanting a change, but I think um, probably a few years into the mix, and in, in, that was in 2002 three. so things had started to go kind of tits up. So I think by that point, he would have got a good reception. At as, least. As, time, as time goes on, I think people have just come to appreciate far more that the Wilkinson was a bit of a visionary and had genuine ideas and plans that were designed to make the club better longer term. And I, I think that becomes more and more obvious as you filter through the years in which nobody seemed to have any idea how to make Leeds better or stronger longer term. The big feather in Wilkinson's cap, apart from obviously promotion in 1990 and then the title, is Thorpe Arch. You know, just the idea of this state-of-the-art training ground which absolutely everybody has embraced. I think that was part of the thing of George Graham actually as well to go his team that he built was kind of fun but then by the time he was coming back at the end of his Spurs career it was players Wilco had signed or Wilco had brought through or players David O'Leary had signed and all, all of his Molinar, Ribeiro, Haaland all those players seemed to have more or less moved on by the end of it the team he built around it so it was like it felt like we fully we fully washed the George Graham off us yeah. for a period yeah, although so, just going back to Thorpe Archie itself, the sad thing about all that was that when they sold it off, they sold it off in, in parcels, didn't they? And yeah. the barn, which was the, was, I think it was a converted barn, but that's where they put the accommodation, wasn't it, for the, the young lads to go live up there? Because Wilkinson, his idea was to do it, was it like Blomfontein, the French um, place where he wanted like a hot house of football? I think so, yeah. Away from the city centre, so the young lads could all stay in, in, in residence there and just sort of eat, sleep, breathe football. And it's that's the generation that sort of came through with, you know, watch my language, but like Harry Kewell and so on and so forth, yeah. who, who were all the, the stars of that um, of that generation. Well, I think, again, Wilkinson appreciated before a lot of other people that if you did that with young players and you properly, properly invested time and money and effort in them, then you would develop some of, and, and also pick them carefully when it came to recruiting them, you would develop some of what Leeds did develop, you know, which was the, the Kewell era um, and, and many others. And he was, I think he was quite ahead of his time in that respect. And certainly with the idea for the training ground, because as I say, it's all developed now and people have gone further and, and much further and, and have kind of left Thorpe Arch behind a bit. But, he, you know, he, he had it right. Yeah, Wilkinson would get the, the welcome back. Farker will get that welcome back at Norwich. So let's um, swing it back around to the present day. Nice and, to see David Wagner again. We've got nice memories of him too, fighting with, with the, the snake with, himself, oh, that's actually. That's true, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was... Uh, that was quite a that was quite a moment. That would have been a good athletic read. That actually was that when Pontus piled in as well when he oh, came marching yeah, no, over. That him. was when him and Izzy Brown had that great photo of Izzy Brown looking like he was about to get punched by a six foot three inch Swede and thought, <laughs> don't know, don't know about this. So, uh, but yeah, no, that was that. Um, that was that. That would like I say that would have been a good athletic piece. That the, I can the, see it cooking the, now. The look, at the cog, look at the cogs turning. Oh, I think I think time the time's gone. Sadly. Um, 10,000 word long read yeah, on that please Phil it was Wagner going up the pitch to celebrate that last minute winner yeah. coming back down and trying to jog sort of um, humbly and apologetically past Monk who just properly digged him in the ribs silly question because uh, we've resurrected the one to watch from the Phil Hayes show we brought it over from the athletic show the one to watch the thing the issue the player may be the person to focus our attention on it's Farker yes yeah. I think you I think you'll get a good reception but then you know how it is they'll kind of turn the tap off once the game gets going. Big game for them. Important yeah. game for them. I think important probably as well, given that it did seem like it was a bit unsettled at Coventry at their last game, not a great game for Wagner to lose if he does, you know, with returning, I don't know about returning hero, but you know, like returning manager who has a lot of credit in the bank. You just hope that, I don't know, that maybe they're swallowed up a little bit by the occasion. That's why I feel like that could be to our advantage this time. 
I, I would stop short of making a prediction and saying we'll do X or Y because I always go into games thinking I hope Leeds win. I'm quite optimistic of a win, but I guess that's I guess that's why we're touching on the one to watch. Actually, what's the issue that's kind of going to dominate the, the the crowd and the feeling around this? And it is that, isn't it? There's a lot of reunions actually this weekend. You've got Byron going back there, obviously. Yeah. You've got Forshaw now who plays for Norwich. You've got Andrew Hughes, one of Wagner's coaches. He's obviously one of the kind of stalwarts of that promotion season. 0-9-10, and I know keeps a close eye on on what goes on up here. You've got Farker, you've got not that many players there now who played for him, but certainly one Kenny McLean midfielder who he would have taken in the summer if there'd been any prospect of, of Norwich being willing to sell him. You've still got Weber thereabouts. You know, Leeds fan pops up in away ends from time to time. Luciano Becchio's been lot. in town as well. Yeah, quite a lot going, especially for it. Yeah, yeah he's been he's been on tour actually, hasn't, hasn't yeah, he, with he has. Bex this week. That's been nice to see. Um, got all, all the feels there. I have got a very short vaguely Becchio Beckford themed quiz in the members show which will be, Phil doesn't even know about this yet we're going to force him to stay for another five minutes surprise. at the end surprise exciting yeah <laughs> <laughs> surprise yeah what's your feeling about this one what's in the water um, I think very very lively game I think it, when it comes to one to watch as far as the team is concerned and I, I hate him to pick Archie Gray every week but I think it's probably right back isn't it like what does he do at, at right back does he go back to Luke Ayling does he keep I think Gray was a specific choice for the Bristol City game. Did a great job on their left winger. Worked really well. Whether or not tactically it suits Nor- the Norwich game will be Farker's decision. But the temptation must be there to keep it as it was just because it, it kind of worked. Um, there must be a temptation to rest Archie Gray as well. Because you highlighted in your article this week, didn't you, that he's played three games for the England he, under-20s, he, is it? Under-19s, he, whichever. He's, he's been away and, and has played a lot. Yeah, a lot of minutes. And... Leeds are caught now in the way that clubs often are with young players between not wanting to say to him, you need to limit your international football. You know, he needs he needs to play and he wants to do that and everything else. But I think privately thinking, God, it'd be nice if he wasn't going away for a fortnight and playing as much as, as he has. So you're right. I mean, that might come into consideration. We should find out later where Nonto's at, where um, Jed Spence is at, Thurpo as well. I think there'll be a lot going on in this game. I think it'll be, I cannot see it being dull. No. I just Things think rarely be, are with Leeds. It'll be there'll be some spikiness there I think both teams will play to win I think Wagner will be very conscious of making sure Norwich look good on the day Farker a little bit like going back to Ipswich I think will be very conscious of Leeds looking good on the day nobody's going to want to give any ground well we'll be back on Monday or thereabouts Phil we'll um, we'll analyse what went on and look ahead to the Stoke game on Wednesday we've got another midweek round coming up haven't we that's fun yeah yeah games are high that wraps it up for this one then we'll see you soon the Square Ball Podcast. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.